Welcome to another edition of the Grief Observed Podcast. I am your host, Brad Morrell, and I want to extend this opportunity to all of our listeners to be on the show. Um, contact me at griefobservedpodcast at gmail.com. Send me an email about the person you've lost in your life and how you're dealing with grief. And we'll try to get you on the podcast as soon as possible. I will say it, it has been extremely busy lately. I'm very thankful for uh, everyone stepping up and, and really getting this podcast going. Um, so just send me an email and we'll try to get you on very soon. Our next guest has gone through a few losses over the past several years, but most recently lost her son. I, and if you connect with her story today, I will have her email in the show description as well. Um, I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Sharon. And Sharon, thanks for joining me today. Hey, Brad. Thanks for having me on. Um, thanks for asking me to share my story. It's it's uh, It's been a journey and uh, it's a journey that I want to share a little bit about. Um, three significant losses in my life. Um, First was uh, my mom and kind of watching her decline um, from this strong woman that I knew who was a single mom that raised me and my younger sister. Um, so I'm the oldest. And, uh, you know, when it got to be 2014, her memory was starting to decline. And she was living in New Jersey at the time. I live over here in Illinois. And, uh, you know, I was visiting her one time and the strong woman that raised me and my younger sister working three jobs trying to make ends meet because my birth father wasn't paying child support back in those days. It was a little harder to uh, get a hold of. And, uh, you know, there's this moment I'm sitting on the couch with her and she's looking at me and she says, uh, do you know my daughter, Sharon? Hmm. And I'll wow. tell you, that is just a kind of like a punch in the gut when your mom doesn't recognize you and, and the, you realize that the disease of dementia is taking her away. And yeah. uh, how, how old was your mom at that point? She was 77. 77. Yeah. So in my mind, it's <laughs> getting younger all the time. You're right. <laughs> right. I always age. tell my dad, I, I always tell him the, the older he gets, the younger he looks because I am literally catching up. So right? yeah, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> it um, is. So she, uh, she ended up passing away on December 19th. Uh, ironically, that was the day that she had married my birth father from whom she was divorced. Um, but she had married him 54 years earlier. And so that was just kind of, kind of crazy that she died on the day that she got married to her first husband. Wow. Uh, yeah. I'm like, there's a couple of weird things like that in, in my story, but you know, my journey with grief with my mom was, um, a lot about, um, what I've come to learn are called secondary losses. Um, so yeah, there was like the loss of my mom, but then there was like the loss of stability of like being able to pick up the phone and call my mom, you know, yeah. whenever I wanted and just to hear her talk or like the secondary loss of like the, um, special events in the family. Like when my boys got married in 2015 and 2016, um, you know, so she, their grandma's, you know, grandma wasn't there for them. And, uh, I should say I have um, three 
um, adult children and uh, two boys followed by a girl and now two daughter-in-laws and three grandchildren. Um, and I was married to my best friend who I met when I was a senior in high school. Um, but, you know, honestly, that I had never heard of this idea of secondary losses. I just knew, like, man, it really stinks. Mom's not here for, you know, my one son's wedding. And then six months later, my other son got married. And it's like, oh, mom's not here again. And there's just a, a tug on your heart that you want to share that kind of stuff with your mom. And, um, you know, but she was, she had passed and, um, I kind of had to start wrestling with what did I believe about death and what happened after death. And, uh, I was raised in a, an era where maybe we told kids things differently than we do now. I think folks are much more honest about, um, where people go after you die or where they think you go. And, I can remember growing up, my mom told me that when you're born, that a candle is lit for you. And when it's your time, that candle gets blown out. And so I grew up kind of afraid of candles being blown out. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I was thinking like, whoa. You know, it's gonna so be every birthday, that would that would bring on a scare, I imagine, yeah, right? It took a little bit to get through. Um, birthday candles were different than the candle. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, so, yeah, that, that was kind of back in... 2014. And then, you know, we're kind of continually long life. My husband and I, I, I met him. He was, uh, when I was a senior in high school, he was my boss. We used to joke around that I like to think that things change, but <clears throat> who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but he, he was really my best friend. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, we, we did everything together. Um, we got married, we uh, moved to another state, you know, kind of got going in our careers and stuff. And then uh, we're blessed with three kids and uh, he worked at a nuclear power plant and um, and was a part-time fireman or um, in a smaller community they called paid on call firemen. And mm -hmm. um, it, you know, he did that while the kids were little, which was a lot of fun. It provided some, you know, extra income for us. And, but also just the community um, in a small town of being a firefighter and then having kids that, you know, would play around his fire gear that was in the house and drop Legos in his boots. And in the middle of the night, he'd get a call and he'd jump up and, you know, you'd hear all sorts of expletives with little Legos on the bottom of his boots and his feet. It's <laughs> one of the worst pains ever in the world, right? Uh, yeah, Stepping Legos, on a Lego. <laughs> oh, Legos are brutal. It was brutal. Uh, but yeah, he worked at a, he worked at a power plant for um, over 30 years. And uh, so that was a real blessing for our family to have that um, income. And then, you know, he did the firefighting, I think for about 10 years. Um, but it was in uh, March of 2017, so three years after mom passed away, we, um, he and I reapplied for some our term life insurance policy, like it came due every 10 years. And um, the company chose not to renew my husband's policy and uh, suggested he should follow up with his doctor. And he had recently retired and he's like, yeah, you know, I just kind of want to decompress from all those years of work and stuff. So it took several months um, for him to, you know, go see the doctor and stuff. And uh, the doctor did an x-ray and we were surprised that the x-ray showed some spots on his liver. And mm. by the uh, end of the appointment, the doctor wanted to do something called an endoscopy where they put like a tube down your throat with a camera 
and right. into wherever it goes, um, your stomach, I guess. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. So we were on our way to get the endoscopy, um, and uh, on our way, we were in a car accident because somebody ran a stop sign and hit us. Um, and because he was a firefighter, he kind of knew, you know, he was first responder on calls and stuff. So he had turned the car so that he took most of the impact. Um, but I ended up hitting like that bar between the front seat and the back seat between the windows. And uh, it left me with this concussion that developed into something called post-concussion syndrome that led me to being off work for a couple months. And during those couple of months, um, Al had his endoscopy and learned that he had a tumor at the base of his esophagus mm. um, with spots on his liver. So it was diagnosed as um, stage four esophageal cancer that had metastasized. And so that was wow. a shock to all of us. And, uh, you know, we knew that he wasn't going to have very, very long to live. And uh, my son that you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, who um, has recently passed away, and his wisdom uh, decided on Father's Day weekend to record um Al just talking about life and, and some of his experiences from childhood and um, our early married years and some of our favorite family vacations to the Jersey Shore. And, uh, and those are just such cherished videos now to have uh, of times with him. And I, you know, I'm glad for things. Um, when my son was visiting recently, I had done some videos of him, he and his brother, playing with their two kiddos. Um, my son that passed had a daughter and my other son has a son and they were outside and I had my uh, camera phone going on the video and they were dancing around with a bubble machine and to see my two boys with their two littles dancing with the bubble machines, you know, videos are just something to cherish. Um, you know, when you're, when the worst thing happens and uh, you're having to experience something that you never thought you'd have to with some grief. Um, but my husband wanted um, to live long enough to see our then 24-year-old daughter um, begin a program at a, lo a local university for young adults with um, intellectual disabilities. So he decided to start chemo. And I'll tell you what, that chemo, I give him a lot of credit for being able to do it. it that was just brutal. It really took a toll on his body and, um, you know, they tell you when you have cancer, you know, you don't feed the cancer. The cancer loves sugar and stuff. And all he wanted was 7-Eleven cherry Slurpees. Mm. And, you know, and we kind of wrestled with that and was like, okay, wait a minute. Really, he's terminal. Like, give him the cherry Slurpees and, and right, keep right. him happy, right? Um, but, yeah, it kind of got to a point that he moved from our house to the hospital and then, uh, you know, the hospital kept trying to do tests and stuff. And finally, we had to say enough. And so we moved to hospice. And uh, our daughter moved to campus. And uh, 10 days later, on my mom's birthday, and in the wee hours of the morning, my hubby and best friend of 35 years, 7 months, and 17 days passed to eternal life as he, he and I lay sleeping in the bed at the hospice facility. And 
Oh, our kids were 24, 27, and 30 at the time. And the night before he passed, they were like, you know, hey, we're going to, we want you and dad to have a date night. And, uh, you know, so I'm laying there in the, in the hospice room with him trying to think, what does a date night look like? You know, because at that point he was on fentanyl and morphine and mm-hmm. um, to keep him comfortable. But, you know, I had, I had some videos on my phone. And uh, videos from when the kids were little, um, vacations and stuff. And I uh, played those. And um, he, of course, wasn't able to say anything at that point in trying to keep his you know, pain manageable and stuff. But I, I know that they say hearing is the last thing that goes when someone's going to pass. So I believe yeah. he knows that I was there and talking to him and he was hearing the videos and so at 3.45 in the morning, I woke up with kind of a start and uh, or like a startle and he had passed and I just kind of laid there with him for a little bit and then called the hospice nurse and, uh, you know, they came and kind of, he was going to be a um, organ donor, but the only thing they could take were his eyes. And so they were able to do some things to later um, have him be able to donate his eyes, which a little way of feeling that he lives on and I think he would have been very happy um happy with that yeah you you had mentioned uh you know a couple of odd connections and like you stated um you know the, he he passed on your mother's birthday was that right yeah my mom passed on her wedding day yeah, to my father it, and it's, you know, you think about, um, I guess how unusual it is to do such a thing. And, you know, I, I've heard of people passing on their birthday, you know, and, mm. uh, you know, you think about, um, I, I'm kind of a numbers guy. And okay. so one out of 365 days <laughs> is a 0.002, uh, chance, I guess. So it's, it's less than a percent, right? It's it, it's very odd that something would happen on the same day, the same day as yeah. something else. Yeah. So it's you know I I don't always believe in coincidence, but I also don't like try to you know think things into existence either. As far as you know, odd relations and you know in in my business as a counselor. You know, we always say that correlation doesn't equal causation, you know, right, right, you know right. although something may have some odd correlation, it doesn't mean that it was caused by or, you know, um, it, it's, but it is very interesting. There's a couple of things that you have mentioned that have very, uh, you know, it's the exact same date. Yeah. That's, that's unusual. That's just really and it always kind of made me wonder. I was, at first, when I realized the date that he had passed, I was like, oh, come on. You know, there's 365 days in the year and you got to die on mom's birthday. And, mm. and then I thought, well, it was kind of funny because he used to say that um, he was a really, really good cook. I mean, he made the best fried chicken cutlet on the face of this earth and the best deviled eggs that unfortunately I did not get the recipe for. And we oh, cannot wow. duplicate those deviled eggs. But um he used to kind of joke around, not in front of my mom, but he would used to joke around and say, you know, your mom can't even boil water. <laughs> 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 and so I think there was some something about him dying on her birthday. 
<laughs> I, I got you. I yeah. got you. He was probably up eating her rubber meatballs that he would call tease about. <laughs> That's so is you know yeah. You know, it's, you've talked about a couple of things that I, I think we all take for granted and, <clears throat> you know, that's, uh, pictures and video and then family recipes, you oh know, it's, gosh. it's like, sometimes I think we take those for granted and just think that, okay, it's always going to be, um, available, but mm-hmm. yet maybe we need to take more time and opportunities to, take those pictures, take those videos, write down those family recipes, you know, and, and I know there's some people who are not willing to give up the recipe until death, honestly. (laughs) Um, but maybe, maybe there's one of those emergency envelopes that we just unfortunately have to rip open one day with those recipes. But, uh, you know, I think it is important that we, we leave things behind for others. Um, Maybe an odd odd question at this point in our conversation, but what is it that you want to leave behind when you pass? Well, that's a really good question, Brad. Um, I would like to leave behind a legacy of resilience. Mm. Um, I that's something I'm working on now. Um, there's life has thrown a lot of curveballs, not just with grief, but um, some other things that, you know, there's grief in someone passing and then there's um, grief at like job losses and, um, you know, divorce of parents and um, that kind of thing. And um, I used to think that it was about being um, persistent, but lately I've been thinking more like it's about resilience and, and the ability to kind of come back from stuff that is not the way you would have it be in life. And I would hope that my kids will see, um, and grandkids that, um, because I'm, I'm anchored in my Christian faith that Mm -hmm. gives me hope and that hope, um, provides some resilience in one way, but then other ways of resiliency that helps kind of help me back, jump back from tough times. Um, that I'm kind of looking into. And I, I, uh, I was at a conference for a group that I'm a part of called the Modern Widows Club. It's a national organization for um, widows, and it helps to empower widows to kind of like lean into life and make a positive difference in society while building like new friendships and community with what they call um, Wisters, which are widows plus sisters. And so there's like, in-person and virtual support groups and clubs and activities and travel things and educational courses. So anyway, they had this um, conference called the Widow Empowerment Event. And we all got a copy of a book by um, Stephen Southwick and Dennis Charney um, called Resilience, the Science of Mastering Life's Greatest Challenges. And it's the, the third edition. And, uh, and Who was the author again? Uh, Stephen Southwick, MD, and Dennis Charney, C-H-A-R-N-E-Y, MD. And it's called Resilience, the Science of Mastering Life's Greatest Challenges. Um, Okay, I'll I'll put that in the show description as well as uh, a link to the uh, Modern Widows Club. So so from that book, um, I 
because my son recently passed away, and I'll get to that story in just a bit, um, one of the Worcester friends sent me a book that's based on this resilience book, and it's called Resilient Grieving, How to Find Your Way Through a Devastating Loss. And I process things through uh, um, kind of getting knowledge, I guess, um, to help make sense of what's happened in my life. And so I think to, you know, I had read a lot about the stages of grief and Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and stuff like that, but it always felt like something was missing in that. And I think it's how to adapt well in the face of trauma and tragedy, because the truth is that in my Christian faith, um, there's words that are recorded of Jesus in John chapter 16, verse 33. And Jesus says, I've told you all this so that you might have peace in me. Here on earth, you're going to have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Hmm. And, uh, you know, yeah, go one, ahead. one definition I've heard, you know, uh, recently of resilience uh-huh. is advancing despite adversity. What do you think about that? I love that um, because the adversity never, I mean, in in terms of the loss of my mom, my husband, and and now my 33-year-old son um, very recently, um, that's not going to go away. Um, That will always be a part of my story. Hmm. I will advance. I will move forward um, to a place that the grief will get a little easier. Um, And so I would say like I had just kind of gotten to that place with my husband that my grief had gotten easier. You know, there's still those trigger things that happen that just catch you by surprise. Um, But now, you know, with my son recently passing, um, now I'm back in all those first again. You know, the first Thanksgiving and the first Christmas, and then we'll go to the first birthday. And those are um, tough times, but. um, You know, even though, Sharon, that that all three of these losses that you've mentioned today are significantly different. Can you tell me how uh, maybe each loss prepared you for the next loss or did it? Maybe that's the better question. Sure. Um, like I shared earlier, mom's loss kind of taught me a lot about and prepared me about secondary losses, which I really experienced, um, when my husband died. Um, I, I don't know, I was hit with all sorts of fear and anger and regrets and loneliness, like, not only right then in the moment, but in the, you know, worried about the future yet to come. And um, I. Uh, Can I pause you real quick there, Sharon? And yeah. And just <clears throat> for those listening that may not be aware of what a secondary loss is, um, I'll, I'll throw out a few and then I would love for you to kind of chime in. Um, with some of your own secondary losses, sure. Uh, but we think about okay, there's there's a loss of uh, financial security in a lot of ways. There's yep. uh, a loss of you know sometimes friends and family. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's 
a, a loss in security. Um, mm-hmm. There's a loss in that, that future vision, like our, our dreams, our hopes that, especially when, when it comes to losing a spouse, you know, your, your vision has now, it, it has to change, right? It's, it's no longer the vision that you shared with another person. Um, so what are some secondary losses that you feel like you've experienced and, and feel free to talk about all three of, of your losses here? Sure. Um, with Al, we had just built our retirement home and, um, you know, we really enjoyed planning the decor in each room and we moved into a 55 plus community. And, um, when he, uh, when he passed, um, there was just a lot that I didn't know. Um, even though I thought we had prepared for a lot of things, but, um, financially it got to a point that in 2020, um, I couldn't really afford to stay in that house anymore. So it was not only the loss of hope and dreams of living in this really cool community where we had made, you know, great friends. Um, you know, we all kind of moved in at the same time cause it was a, a new build area. And, uh, but it was the loss of those friends because they were all still couples. Um, and I had not nurtured um, female friendships. And so basically everything we did was as a couple. Um, so it's kind of, you started losing the invitations to go out on couples night and do a couple things. And that was a lot of loneliness tied with that. So, um, you know, losses, um, like being able to come home and just have someone to talk to about the day and, you know, what had gone on during my day, having, you know, someone to talk to. Um, I think that's one of the most valuable things that, that couples should do. Um, and, and it's taken for granted so much. I, it's almost like the state of the union. Like how, how was your day? You know, I think we, we all need five minutes a piece just to kind of blow it out good and bad and then kind of pick up. So like you stated that, that was no longer there for you. Right. That's, that's huge. Yeah. Um, with, uh, my son who, um, passed in uh, October, um, of 23, he was, uh, he left behind a wife and our three-year-old granddaughter, my first grandchild. And, uh, he, uh, died tragically in a one car versus tree accident. And, um, you know, there's just so much loss of future hopes and dreams. I mean, he was, you know, his little girl had, um, him wrapped around her little finger and it was just a joy watching them um, interact. And we had gone to Disney earlier this year and it it was so much fun seeing him have fun with his little one. And, uh, you know, just the thought that, that those are, those are going to look very, very different now. Um, You know, there's some real practical, kind of secondhand losses, like, you know, the, some of the traditional roles, um, in the household, like I didn't know how to light the barbecue grill, (laughs) the gas grill. Mm. Okay. And so first time I did it, uh, about blew up the neighborhood. Um, cause I didn't know you didn't put the lid down after you lit the thing. And, um, 
yeah, it was kind of a big boom and people came out of their houses and it was kind oh, of wow. like, oh, what was that? Like, did we have an explosion in the neighborhood? No, it was me trying to light the barbecue grill. Um, but, you know, even things like feeling like you um, you just don't fit when you um, – when you're going out places, like it's weird to go to a movie by yourself. Um, you, you get some things like you kind of lose your sense of security. Um, and what, um, you know, sometimes things happen and you just don't maybe feel safe. The car breaks down. Um, and so, you know, after my son, after my, husband passed then I would count on my boys to kind of like if I had a car problem you know call one of the boys um and I think just even recognizing how within a family um relationships can change and that's kind of a, a secondary loss it felt like for me like people grieve differently and I don't think um when my mom died that I really realized that people grieve differently. And when my husband died, I kind of forgot that my kids were grieving too, honestly, when it was time to plan his service and stuff. And I really feel bad about that now, Mm. but I've learned that grief is a very individual journey, but it's not necessarily a private journey. And so um, different families talk differently about, you know, grief and how we kind of bounce back from, trials and sorrows in our life and um yeah, let me know. let me ask you real quick um and i didn't mean to cut you off there no go ahead had, okay um can you describe i guess the difference that you felt personally between um you did see the death of your husband coming at least you know for a little bit uh being you know, uh, diagnosed with stage four cancer. Mm-hmm. How did that differ from the tragedy of your son when that, that's not something a person would ever see coming? How did you, Yeah, I don't know. How, how do you shore up the dis, uh, the distance there between those two? It's hugely different. Um, you know, as, as intense as I thought it was to lose my husband um, and my best friend, like you said, I, we knew that that was coming. Um, the intense sadness I had with my son, um, the unsettling questions um, and unsettled questions about you know how this could have happened. It was a clear day, uh, you know, just so many questions. Um, unfortunately, the car caught on fire, and. Um, the VIN number and the license plate were both unidentifiable, if that tells you how intense the fire was. And, you know, there was a man that came to the funeral who lived in a house near where the accident happened, and he ran to the car, tried to get my son out, um, was unable to, could smell that the car was starting to catch on fire, ran back to get a fire extinguisher and uh, by the time he got back it was too far gone so um you know the 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 unsettled questions of um you know did he know that he was dying um 
there unfortunately wasn't a body left um, after the fire. So not being able to say goodbye, um, just a lot of lack of control um, and lack of knowledge, um, lack of control in decision-making, being a mother versus being a wife. Um, Mm. My husband's mother had already passed away when he passed. Um, My daughter-in-law, you know, made most of the decisions when my son passed and that felt kind of like there wasn't space um, for me as his mom. It was surprising to find out from the coroner's office that the um, reports are only released to the next of kin. And so um, a lot of things that I didn't think about, um, in part because my mo- my husband's mother had already passed, so I didn't have to kind of navigate that role. But now being in the role of being the mom and the grandmom versus the wife, um mm-hmm has made for some difficult, um, painful, unsettling um, times and conversations. And, you know, and part of it is I wonder what will my relationship with my granddaughter look like now? Um, They live a couple of states away. So, um, and I would say. That kind of of takes you right back into those secondary losses, right? Yeah. 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 So what are those relationships going to look like? And I don't know. I mean, she's, my daughter-in-law certainly is, is deeply grieving and, um, you know, and I, I hope after we get through some of the rawness of the grief, we'll kind of be able to come together and figure out what being family will look like. Uh, that's not there right now. Um, I am blessed that I live with my other son and his wife and my grandson. And then just um, four weeks after my son died, um, my other son that I live with gave birth to another child. And and so I have a a new grandson and they chose to name that son after um, my oldest son's middle name and my son who passed away's middle name. And so that's nice that my son who passed away kind of lives on in this new baby. So it's been kind of a, feels like a roller coaster of um, grief and gratitude that they coexist on the same kind of ride of life. And you're, you know, like you're, you know, going down, down, down into the valley and going through some loops of grief and stuff. And then all of a sudden you're up high with a new grandbaby that you're holding and, you know, the hopes and dreams that you have for that grandbaby. And at the same time, remember that you've lost hopes and dreams with your 33 year old son. And Hmm. it's, uh, and so that's why I thought kind of like the whole stages of grief thing, that there was something else um, besides, you know, the, the five stages of grief that we've kind of been classically taught about. And, uh, and that's where I kind of thought this whole, like, how do you adapt in the face of trauma and tragedy? Um, and so that's where it's kind of intrigued me learning about how do I be resilient? And, um, because I, I went on 
one of the things I did after my husband died is I started in this faith-based group called Grief Share. And it um, is a 13-week program that takes you through um, kind of learning about you know, normal things in grief, but also how you know when you're getting stuck in grief. It's a great way to build community because that was one of the things that I realized is I thought, I thought at first when my husband died, I thought, I don't know anybody else that's a widow. And oh my goodness, my eyes have been so opened, like how many widows there are all around me and not old. You know, I, I guess I thought widows were mostly older people. Um, through my work with the Modern Widow, Widows Club, um, I've learned that 70% of all women will be widowed in their lifetime, which blew me away. And the average age is 57, which is exactly That's, how old I was. Oh, wow. <clears throat> that is amazing. And, um, you know, I, I had a young widow on uh, just, it was either last episode or two episodes ago. I think it was last episode, actually. Her name was Devin. And uh, just unbelievable, you know, to, to have a young uh, widow like that. And I've actually got another one that I'll be interviewing uh, later this week. And it's just, it's really unusual to have young people that are going through this. Yeah. Um, but like you said, you know, that you said the average age is 57, 57. Right? Yeah. 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 That's, that is amazing. So there's a whole lot young. It, yeah. It's, uh, and, and I will definitely plug that, that group, uh, modern widows club. I, I definitely think that's a great place for, for people to find, uh, hope and community and as community, well as grief yeah. share. And they have a, uh, they have a virtual parenting group. So um, younger moms don't younger moms who are widows don't don't have to find babysitting and stuff. You can hop online and do their virtual parenting group. Um, that's a part of Modern Widows Club. So that that's one of the support groups that they have that I think is really cool for younger younger women. Because my daughter in law is thirty one and with a three year old. Mm. Um, you know, one thing I, I do want to mention too is uh, I'm a big fan of David Kessler. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. Yep. Yep. He actually okay. He he got to do some work with um, Elizabeth Kubler Ross before she mm -hmm. passed, mm -hmm. and you know her five stages of grief. I think there's a lot of uh, valid points to it. It was a great starting point, kind of put mm -hmm. grief on the map. But it's it is something that we've kind of steered away from a lot later in life as far as counseling goes. But uh, David Kessler actually wrote a book called um, Finding, Meaning, Finding Meaning, the right? sixth yeah. stage of grief. And yeah. he wrote this uh, to my knowledge, it was after his son had passed. And so he also has lost a son. And. One of the things that I, I found years ago, and I'm trying to think of the lady's name, uh, it was a video just about all kinds of different losses that people have incurred, uh, not not just uh, death, but just different griefs that people have gone through. But one of the things that, that really stood out to me, there was this gentleman who had, I want to say it was four children and both this gentleman and his wife had this recessive gene and all four of their children died around age eight or nine from whatever this horrible disease was. Wow. 
And he said something that really stood out to me. I mean, this has been 14, 15 years ago, at least when I heard this, but, uh, he stated, he said, you know, when a man loses his wife, he's a widower. When a woman loses her husband, she's a widow. When a parent loses a child, there is no name for that type of loss because you can't imagine the pain. And I'm just like, wow, that is, you know, I've, I've got one daughter and I can't imagine what, what I would do if she was taken. And I, I just, I can't, you know, I, I think with normal progression, we, we see, you know, in chronological order, a parent should always pass before a child, mm-hmm. but you've experienced that mm-hmm. that's not the case. Mm-hmm. And there is no word for it in our society, which I find really interesting. And and it's a pain like I've never felt this kind of pain before. I mean, it, it's just um, for me as a woman, you know, he, my child grew in my womb and, you know, birthed him and then raised him for 33 years and launched into adulthood. And, um, you know, just such a joy to see and to experience being able to have an adult level conversation. I mean, he was kind of my uh, intellectual one of my three that I could really kind of, you know, go toe to toe with deep conversations and stuff. And, you know, all my Mm. kids are great, but, you know, there's, they have different strengths, right? And different gifts. Sure. And uh, so he was my one that, you know, was, he's, you know, he texts me and he's like, Hey, have you heard about this? And what about this theory? And what do you think about that? And we'd go back and forth and stuff. And, um, but it is just a gut punch. Like, I mean, when my oldest son was the one that told me what happened and I just, the only thing I could say was no. And just repeatedly, no, no, no. And then just started throwing up, unfortunately, which was, um, just this visceral gut reaction of like, this can't be happening. Like, it is amazing how the body responds um, whenever we go through some type of tragic event or a loss in our life. Um, you know, there, there's another great book. I'm, I'm throwing out all these books, and I'll, I'll have the the titles and links at, at the uh, in the show description. But uh, Bessler van der Kolk had a book called The Body Keeps the Score. I don't know if you've heard that I one. I have heard that, yes. Mm-hmm. And it is just amazing how our body truly does keep the score. You know, it, it tells us things and we need to listen. It's almost like the dashboard lights in our car, you know, when they flash up, it's not, uh, just for fun. It's it's to say, Hey, you need to pull over and get gas or, Hey, you need to check your engine. Our body does the same thing and we need to listen. Um, but you know, it's just, horrible that, you know, you had these reactions during those moments and, and that, uh, that stating no, 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 uh, just as, as you've stated, I've experienced something similar when I lost one of my best friends several years ago, it's been 12 years ago. And, uh, I had this, uh, message in the middle of the night, I was at my bed and, my phone flashed and I'm like, okay, who is it? And it just said, what in the world happened to Chad? And immediately I popped up and was like, no, 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 no. And I knew, I I didn't even know he had passed at that point, but it was just something I felt. And I knew that 
life was not going to be the same. Yeah, for sure. It's not, not the same, not the same. And, and I, I know from some of the work that I, I do in life, um, you know, that one of the things and or a couple of the things in healthy grieving was that I needed to get outside of myself and have a regular routine of exercise. And, um, so one of the things I've done since my husband died, um, I, I work for a church full time and, um, I had a phone call from, um, an organization, uh, humanitarian organization that's faith-based that, um, works with people in poverty, getting clean water to them. And it's uh, an arm of world vision called team world vision. And, uh, they asked about, you know, could they come and talk to me? And, um, and I realized that part of moving forward in life after trauma and tragedy is getting outside of myself and looking to others. And so, um, and also how important, you know, physical exercise, because, you know, yeah, the body does keep, keep score. And lately I've been doing grief yoga, which is just an amazing, um, an amazing thing just to stretch because I find I need a lot of stretching. But anyway, that conversation with Team World Vision was um, about, you know, having some time on the weekend services to talk about a program that they have um, to take people from the couch to the finish line. And I uh, ended up that my daughter and I signed up to do the Chicago Marathon. And by moving our feet, we were raising money for clean water. And But that moved me into a community that was a little bit of heaven um, as we trained on Saturdays and pounded the miles. And I got to hear other people's stories about how they bounced back from times of trials and sorrows. Um, and I thought, you know, that's that's part of it when you're in grief and you can get outside of your house and maybe outside of your comfort zone and hear other people's stories, whether it's at a grief share thing or, you know, running on a track with some people or, you know, or a podcast, right? (laughs) Or yeah, or talking on a podcast. Exactly. Um, but you know, that's to me, that's part of resiliency is kind of like figuring out how do you, how do I adapt here? And I am amazed at how many people I have learned from that have trauma and tragedy in their life. And, um, you know, some of the things work for me and some of them don't. Um, I know, I know people that swear by journaling. I am not a journaler. Um, I'll use the talk to text function on my phone and do some, you know, note taking, I guess. But I know people that are like, oh, you got to put a pen to a paper. And I'm like, I don't need to be showed on right now. Should S H. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, like I just need to be kind to myself and journaling doesn't feel like the thing to do. Um, But I, you know, I, I did learn some things like I never would have thought, you know, I I could do a marathon and, you know, that was a one and done. I've done half marathons since then. I'm not a runner. I do this run walk combination, Mm -hmm. but you know, getting outside of myself and helping others um, who I'll never meet. But it shifts my focus to some of the things that I do have, um, because I do have a lot still in life, in light, in light of the losses. Um, yeah, and, and you talked about should, you know, should. Yeah. I always talk about the shoulda, woulda, couldas. Those are all words of guilt. So yep. yeah. I think we've got to stick, you know, stay away from those as far as possible. Um, one thing you had said you stated a lot of people uh, 
I guess that you were surprised that a lot of people have their own trauma and tragedy in life. And I'm just curious how much you think people do keep those things inside. You know, maybe I just was insulated from people that had tough times, but um, I tell you, since I've moved, I, I uh, met up with a book group at a local library and um, you know, just listening to those ladies stories, like, I don't know if we just don't have a whole lot of places in society to go and talk. Cause like one of the things I found in my grief story is, um, you know, I, I try to kind of monitor how much I talk to my kids about my grief issues. Cause I know they're dealing with their own grief issues. So it, it's somewhat easier to go and talk to other people, uh, you know, in small group or whatever, um, or out on the, the trail walking and stuff. And, and it's not just all, you know, death, but, you know, a divorce or loss of health or loss of a job. And I realized, you know, like there's a common thread to all of this stuff. And where do people go to talk about it? I'm not a person that hangs out in a bar. So maybe people in bars talk about that. Um, But in my circles in life, there really wasn't a place that you went and, you know, talked about that kind of stuff. Yeah. What, what do you think the best thing to tell someone who is going through grief? Like what's, what's some of your best things that you could tell them, uh, if, if they're experiencing grief right now? Um, be kind to yourself. Um, listen to your gut about people will tell you all sorts of things. And I think in dealing with other people, um, assume the best about others we, we have not equipped pe- people in our society for how to deal with grief and people want to say something, but they often say things that are really hurtful or stupid. Um, yeah, and yeah so, definitely. Like assume, just assume the best that they're trying to help you and don't get all ticked off at them and cut off relationships and stuff. Um, because they're, they're trying in their own way to show care and concern, but you've kind of got to guard your own heart and know when you've had enough and just say, Hey, you know what? I've had all all I can do today. Um, you know, like I know we said we were going to go to the movies, but I just don't feel up to it. So give yourself permission to just say no. And I'm not up to it right now. It's very good advice. Yeah. As far as saying no, um, I I don't think a lot of us know how to do that. It's, it's, I don't know. Yeah, Maybe that's where a lot of guilt are. comes in. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause like, you know, we're, we're people pleasers at some level, I think. And, you know, we want people to like us, but it's exhausting when you're in grief and, and people are just kind of, you know, Hey, how about if I just stop over? Thank you. But I'm not up to it right now. Or, you know, like, um, I'm, I'm definitely doing better with that with my son my son's passing then my husband's passing um i mean i just had like a rotating door of people in and out and it like just made my head spin um and wasn't really very good for me now i'm able to kind of say you know hey thanks i just i need some space like the grief share group that i was leading i just said you know i'm not going to be back you know for this they do like a like three sessions um, mm-hmm. from the fall, the winter and the spring. And I'm like, I probably not looking at anything going back till next fall. Um, cause you know, you can't lead from an empty cup. 
Um, and, and those are 13 week programs, right? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. 13. So wow. 39, 39 weeks out of the year they're in session. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, that, that shows you the need right there. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, I mean, COVID brought about all sorts of losses and stuff, people that didn't get to say goodbye to loved ones and, um, a lot of, a lot of COVID loss right now and grief with COVID loss, but just, yeah. you know, a lot of, just life stuff too. I mean, um, but yeah, I'd say grief share, they just redid their curriculum and it's, it's a really good update. So, and it's included oh, nice. some post pandemic stuff. Cause there's a lot of things. It's like grief changed during the pandemic when you couldn't have funerals for more than 10 people or you didn't get to say goodbye to people. Like what do people yeah. do with that stuff if they don't have a place to process it? And and I think that's where community is so important. It's like, where do you find those communities? Like our local library has a grief support group now, not a grief share group. That's, that's at a local church, but mm-hmm. um, they just have somebody from hospice come in and facilitate a group at the library. Um, so people may be able to find that in their own local communities and not have to worry about like, you know, talking to their kids about it or their parents about it. Um you know, one thing that uh, definitely holds true, and I, I say this often, is most of us at this point in life, we know someone who has passed, and we all will pass at some point, you know? So it's uh, it's something that's needed in the community, and it's good to see people really stepping up to do their part. And, and I can't thank you enough for being uh, a part of that, you know, leading these groups. And, uh, and I think it's okay too, that you're taking time to definitely step away. And like you said, re-energize and, uh, kind of reboot and, and kind of look deeper into your own identity. You know, you've, you've lost a, a lot of people in your life. And, uh, I, I think just rediscovering more parts about you as, as your life story has changed. That's, that's good. And it's very smart for you to, to be able to take that break. Yeah. I think it's kind of a healthy thing if you're going to lead to, to take that break and do your own work first. And, sure. um, you know, before, cause you could, you know, actually harm other people if you hurt tran- people, hurt people, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you transfer your stuff onto them. And so, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think there's, you know, Facebook is a, a great place too. I mean, you, you know, you, you always end up with some weirdos, but there's a lot of grief groups on Facebook um, that, you know, if you've lost a child, there's like compassionate friends has like um, loss of an adult child group that I joined. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also have like loss of spouse and loss of infant and, you know, other types of losses. So my daughter's, my daughter's in a group for parents that have lost or um, girls that have lost a dad. And Mm. so there, I'd encourage people to check out on Facebook too, because there's different groups out there. Yeah. Well, Sharon, we're at the close of our hour. I I can't thank you enough. And, uh, you know, as I state to most guests, you know, I, I hate that we, met this way, but I'm thankful for our time together and and you being able to share your story with others. And I know there'll be so many people blessed by hearing your words of encouragement. Uh, You've given a lot of 
different plugs and, and books and things. And I'll have all those at the uh, show description or in the show description. And, uh, but I, I do want to give you this last moment and, you know, anything that you think we've missed or anything that you want to say, um, that you feel is important. I, I want to give you the floor. Sure. I appreciate that, Brad. I think, um, in the, the shock that happens when grief first occurs and you lose someone precious to you, um, you can get so caught in that grief that you don't see those little glimpses of gratitude of what that, especially if it was a sudden passing, um, you may not see the gifts that you still have in life and the gifts that that person brought to you in life. So I think I've realized how grief and gratitude coexist. And, uh, and what, so while I said I don't do journaling, I have been jotting down things that my 33-year-old son taught me about life or just funny stories that I remember that initially when I was in that denial and just that raw, raw grief that I couldn't think of. And so just encourage people to pause and think about what did that person bring to my life and uh, give thanks for that? Yeah, definitely. I, I feel like, uh, you know, if you look at life, um, all life on earth will pass, you know, all relationships on earth will end in some form or fashion, whether it's a uh, counselor client or friend or, you know, mother, son, uh, wife, husband, you know, they, they all do pass in some form, but it doesn't mean that those relationships didn't mean anything. You know, you think about how many friends have passed through in your lifetime that you mm-hmm. no longer have touch with, you know, and it's, uh, and, and these people are still out there. It's just life has changed, but it doesn't mean that your relationship with them, uh, didn't mean anything while you had it. So I feel like that's the main thing we've got to, you know, recall the good times, think of the value that that person did bring to our lives. So you bring some really great points. Yeah. Well, thank Um, you. Sharon, again, thank you so much for, uh, being a part of the podcast. And, uh, I, I, like I said, I know a lot of people will be blessed and I want to thank everyone for listening. And again, if, if you want to share your story, please give me a shout griefobservedpodcast at gmail.com. Um, I hope you have truly been blessed by this podcast today.